I'm incredibly excited about today because I love this particular passage of scripture we're going to be in. It's been heavy on my mind and in my heart since my family moved to Utah. The kind of passage that I would suggest that every believer, especially in Utah, would memorize. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles with you, you can go and open to that passage today. I'm going to go ahead and read it out loud, and then we're going to dive back through and uh, take it apart, maybe a couple of verses or a couple of uh, words at a time, and see if we can gain great help from it this morning. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you as well as we, as we go along. But right now, reading verses 1 through 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. As we read this passage, as we consider... Right out of the gate, the author of Hebrews, delivering a mighty blow for his audience's sake, he tells us some things that are going to be well-serving for the rest of the book of Hebrews, particularly the next four or five chapters, which is dominated by the greatness and the power and the majesty of Jesus. How he is better than everything else. This last 4th of July, I took my kids, as I do every year, uh, to the edge of the, the eastern uh, cliff of daybreak on the, east side of, or the west side of South Jordan. My family lives up in that community, and we like to, to park up there and, and hang out. A handful of families from the church joined us there this year, and we like to look out over the entire valley as we hear and watch the fireworks displays for all the different townships and cities. And so from up there, I don't think it's remotely an exaggeration to say that in a single evening, you might see 10,000 fireworks go off. I don't believe that that's an exaggeration at all. I showed this to my kids, and I was so excited about it when when I first saw it moving to Utah. I wanted them to experience it. They're seeing these little fireworks all over. You, you You can't make your fingers like this about an inch apart and put it out and slowly move across the valley without seeing a firework blow up in every single little inch of your vision as you view. But I do admit that I feel like I'm robbing my kids a little bit from the true experience of fireworks on the 4th of July. And what I mean by that is that when I was a kid, we used to go to a field with the whole rest of the city and we'd, we'd, we'd set out the blankets and we'd lay down, we'd wait for the show to start. And because we lived in a very flat neighborhood in the western suburbs of Chicago, Surrounded by giant, giant, tall trees everywhere. There's no possible way for you to see two fireworks displays at one time. And so you'd lay there on the ground in the dark as it got darker and darker and darker. And then people would be having conversation, having little treats that they brought with them to lay out there with together. And all of a sudden, have you ever been at one of these and experienced? All of a sudden, boom! And everybody, oh! You know the feeling? You ever seen that kind of thing? Where, where it's so high in the sky, even when you're laying on your back, you feel like you have to look back even farther because it's, it's over you. In fact, many times growing up, we'd, the ash would fall on us. It was glorious. 
I want my kids to experience that someday. But far more than the big explosion of a single firework pop overhead is the explosion that Jesus Christ made in history in the face of all the other little pops, 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 pops. Throughout the ages, God had spoken to his people in big, mighty, powerful, miraculous, amazing ways. But each of those ways was like a, a firework on the horizon compared to the boom of Jesus over the heads of those whose eyes were skyward. That's what Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 does for us. It provides that giant boom to get your attention. It doesn't start like many of the other letters does. We did the intro to the book of Hebrews last week. You can go through there for the author and the audience and the context and the flow and what we can gain from that. But what we know right out of the gate, there's not even a welcome. Good to see you. Greetings. There's not even an introduction from the author saying who he is. It literally just, boom, long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. For us to be best served by this, we have to ask the question, what is a prophet? And rather than just assume that we're all on the same page of what a prophet is, I want to walk through briefly what a prophet is according to the Bible. Throughout the Old Testament... You might find word like the words prophet, prophetess, oracle, seer, sometimes just man of God. Whether true prophet or false prophet, there's at least 70 of these in the Old Testament. In fact, not long ago, I put together a, a little blog post on our website at our pastor's blog, uh, listing all the occurrence that I have yet found in my studies through the Bible of a reference to somebody who is or could be considered a prophet. It's a working document. If you read through that and find more, let me know. We want to keep adding if there's some that we have not yet seen on there. But I want to today help you to understand what a prophet is by going back to the first prophet who was publicly confirmed before the nation of Israel, and that was Moses. Now, there were prophets, those who spoke a prophecy for God prior to Moses, but Moses was like a super prophet. He was the first one publicly confirmed, portrayed by God before the nation of Israel, not just a family unit, not just a collection of tribes, but the entire body of his people present at once. Moses was that first prophet. Moses was authenticated before the watching eyes of the nation, particularly at the Red Sea. If you go back to the book of Exodus, you can see from the beginning that God's people were in distress that they were in slavery in Egypt and they were, they were dealing with the kinds of uh, oppression that slaves would deal with and more so because they were getting a kind of oppression that was supernatural in nature and also induced by fear from Pharaoh and how large and great this mighty nation was becoming. Through the sequence of events that it's incredible to observe as you read through the scripture, God chose a man whose name was Moses to be his prophet, to speak on his behalf. Moses, if you might remember, if you know the story, he says, I'm not even good at speaking. So he gives him Aaron, his brother, to go with him. And yet Moses is the main guy, and he tells Aaron what to do, and then Aaron will be the one speaking most typically. This is the way that it went down with the plagues, the 10 plagues of Egypt. 
This is where Moses and Aaron stood before Pharaoh and said, let my people go, speaking on behalf of God. And if you don't, he's going to show his mighty power. Ten plagues later, eventually Pharaoh lets the people go. But they soon find themselves caught between a rock and a hard place. They're caught between the Red Sea, they can't pass, and the army of Pharaoh behind them who's breathing down their necks and they don't know what they're going to do about it. People are freaking out. They're looking at the Red Sea. What are we going to do? Why didn't you leave us in Egypt? We're going to die out here. And it seems like here, more than almost anywhere else, is where the point came that God authenticated and confirmed Moses ultimately as his representative and reference point. When Moses looked out over the Red Sea, stretched out his hands, and the waters parted. One of the mightiest miracles we see in the entire Old Testament. All the people were present. All of them. All of Israel was there. And they all saw him speaking on behalf of God, hands out, whoosh, waters part, they go through. And then all of Pharaoh's army did the dead man's float. Some songs are still in my mind from kids' camp. Exodus 14, 31, right after that event, this is what it says about the people and their view of Moses. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Boom, okay. Clearly, this guy is working, moving, acting on behalf of the Lord. Look at what he did. Moses leads the people out into the wilderness, God uses him to provide food. He uses him to provide water for the people. Eventually, we get to one of the most critical points in Israel history where they stand at the base of Mount Sinai where God is delivering to them the law, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments are being delivered to the people. And God, after having Moses consecrate the people, have them stand at the base of the mountain that they're not allowed to touch, don't go close to it, stand at the edge, look up, literally a physical glory cloud, lightning, thunder, up in the sky surrounding the top of this mountain. They heard a thundering voice. And the voice spoke out loud the Ten Commandments. That's what they heard. The Ten Commandments explicitly preached, not by Moses, but by the voice of God. And this is, what, this is what happens immediately after that. If you're to read in Exodus 20 of the Ten Commandments, when you get to the last commandment, do not covet, the very next verse says this in verse 18 through 19. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning... And the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. This means upon hearing the voice of God, the people could not bear it. And while God had already appointed Moses, already set him to be the one to be the spokesperson, already confirmed that through the works and wonders, Red Sea and beyond, that these people have already seen and witnessed all together, they already saw God working through Moses, here's the point where they verbally shout back, okay, you're the one, you go speak to him and tell us. We're, we'll follow you, but you do it because we can't bear to hear the voice of God any longer. 
he was publicly confirmed by the people in this verse as a prophet of God. Moses later will revisit the same story in Deuteronomy 5.5. He says, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. So Moses says, he remembers this time and he points to it. He goes, I was there. I, I stood between you and the Lord and I declared to you the word of the Lord. There was a lot more to give regarding the law of God. Multiple chapters in Exodus 21 and beyond will tell us of more that God lays out for the people. But they did not hear that audibly from God. They heard that from Moses. God spoke through him. This might be, might be, the clearest Old Testament summary of what a prophet is. One who stands between the Lord and the people to declare the word of the Lord. Numbers 11, 29 Moses says this, Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them? There's a situation where people were saying, maybe we need a different prophet, maybe we need more prophets. And he says, listen, I didn't choose this, God made this for me, and wouldn't it be great if we could conceive of a day or a time where God would not limit his spirit giving to particular individuals, but give it limitless that the Spirit of God would be placed in the hearts of all of his people. So here's what we can see already about what a prophet is. A prophet in the Old Testament was an inspired spokesperson for God who functioned as a mediator between God and man. You might see a, a priest was a mediator as well, but in the other direction. While a prophet stood between God and man and communicated from God to the people, the priest stood between God and man and and communicated from the people to God. Both were needed in this day, but that's what a prophet is. So how did God speak through them? We'll look back at Hebrews 1.1 again. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. What ways? Well, dreams visions, angelic visits, the voice from heaven, symbols written on a wall. Moses, a a burning bush begins talking to him. Uh, The glory cloud, the Shekinah glory, the brightness in the night and the cloud in the day. Many different ways that God has spoken to his people and, and many different times. You and I can flip to the Old Testament and find many places where God spoke to his people through prophets. But it should be said that the words here many times, in many ways, have a much greater meaning than merely different events. Like there were different times and God spoke in different ways at different times. That's true. But the weight of the verses here, of these words in Greek, imply that God gave parts or portions of the greater story to each of these prophets. In other words, no single prophet in the Old Testament delivered the whole story to the people. But God used each prophet to contribute a part of the revelation of Jesus for our benefit. So when you and I read the Old Testament, we're reading a collection of revelations, divinely inspired, written to give a greater narrative, a greater story, 
So that you and I today, reading the Old Testament, having all those pieces, can actually understand it more fully than those who were present to hear just a portion at a time. We should be grateful for that. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke. Who spoke? Who's the one speaking to these fathers, these ancestors of old? God speaks. Our God is a speaking God. If you open up to the first page of the Bible in Genesis, by the time you get to verse 3, you see that the nothingness that was there goes away when existence is spoken, and it is. So God said, let there be light. Multiple times, and even the first chapter, God said, and then it happened. God said, and then it happened. He is a speaking God. He is not a silent God. And ever since that time, God has been speaking. Last week, we took a group of uh, interns who were in town studying ministry in Utah, uh, down to Temple Square, and we were sharing the gospel with some people, and I ran into a couple of Mormon missionaries, and uh, I asked them to start a conversation. We spent maybe 30 minutes or so together, talking back and forth about, about some things. I was trying to get to the bottom of a few pieces, and I, I asked some of my, my typical questions that I ask someone in that situation. Have you ever met a Christian? Do you know the Christian gospel? They, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, what do you think is the biggest difference between your beliefs and the Christian gospel? And this is very typical, maybe a third of the time, these young missionaries said, well, you believe probably if you're a traditional Christian, God has stopped speaking to his people and he no longer speaks. That's not true. I tried to help deal with that. In fact, one of the ways I try to deal with that is to say, no, 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 no. I'm sorry that's been your presumption. We have a far more robust view of God speaking today than the LDS church does, certainly. And I paused this young man and I I told him, you have an assumption, I think, in this. That when a human prophet speaks for God, it unites people, but nothing could be further from the truth. Prophets most often operated on the fringes of society, Suffering persecution and even death was stock in trade for an Old Testament prophet. You see, there's a false hope that many of our Mormon friends put in the office of prophet as though people generally are desperate to hear from God and that the problem is that we just cannot understand him. So a prophet solves that problem by clearing up any confusion, but that is not what the Bible teaches. The problem has never been that God wasn't speaking clearly enough. The problem is that people refused to accept what he was saying. This problem continues to today. The problem is not, there's not a human here to clear up the problems, to clear up the issues. The problem is that we refuse to hear the truth. I want to show you one place that summarizes this well in the Old Testament. The problem is not that the communicating was wrong, But the hearers refused. Jeremiah 7, which I didn't put up. I'm just going to read out loud. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers 
So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. You see the problem here? The problem here is in the hearer, the recipient, would not listen to the prophet. Here's why that's significant. The problem was not in the speaker, but in the hearer. Have you ever been working on your computer at home, like using Wi-Fi, and all of a sudden the internet goes spotty or just goes out? You got to troubleshoot that, right? What do you you try to figure out? The first thing you got to figure out is, is the problem with the computer, which is receiving the Wi-Fi signal, or is the problem the router, which is sending the signal? And truthfully, it could be either in your home, right? Happens all the time. Some happen on my computer, some happen on the router. One or the other. Regarding us and God, the problem is never in the transmitter. If you're trying to troubleshoot the problem in your communication with God, you can skip the step of testing the transmitter and go right to the receiver. So often, I try to help people who feel like they want to hear from God and and say that he's not being clear enough. Lord, I just want to know. I just want to know what I'm supposed to do. I want to know what is right to do in this next thing. Why is God not speaking to me? The problem has never, ever, ever been that God is not speaking, but that people refuse to listen. In fact, on the rare occasion we do see in the Bible that God stopped speaking, it is because the people have previously plugged their ears. This means we deal with ourselves first. He's not missing his cue God is not sleeping on the job. He's not giving you the silent treatment like a belligerent teenager. The problem is us, the hearer. This is why the good Christian brother or sister in counseling and helping give advice to the one who's, I can't hear God. I don't know what God's saying. We go to the person's heart. We try to clean house and try to figure out what might be in here that is keeping you from hearing God clearly, from seeing God clearly. Similarly, if a person does not listen to the gospel when you proclaim it, it's not just you they're not listening to. It's God. Hebrews 1 verse 2 says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So much. I anticipate we'll do half of this verse today. These last days, but in these last days, what's the last days? The last days is the way that the New Testament refers to now. The New Testament refers to today in this way. We are in the last days. We are in the final age. We're in the conclusion of history. And yes, it's been 2,000 years, but this is the final chapter of history. This also presents a contrast for us. It used to be that way. Not, now it's this way. It used to be that God did it this way, but now this way. The word but is actually not here in the Greek. But the reason translators put the word but in here is because it's clearly a contrast from what happened. God used to do this. Now he does this. That contrast is critical for us to see, to understand what's going on. 
We're getting a better version in the New Testament day. It used to be that way, now it's this way. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. To whom has God spoken? Us. Us. Is it it the apostles? He's spoken to the apostles? Is it that he has spoken to the first generation of Christians? If you were here with us last week, you would have seen that I went through Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, where the author identifies himself as not the first generation of Christians. But he identifies himself with the audience in saying that we are of those who heard the gospel from others. So how is it possible for him to say that God has spoken to us by his son if the us that he's writing to has never seen Jesus, has never heard the audible voice of God? You and I were not there to hear Moses in the Old Testament, not there to hear Isaiah or even John the Baptist. Yet we have heard the speaking of God. How? Through Jesus. And it is for this reason that we should not seek a merely human prophet today. You see why I said before, this is a a verse, a couple of verses that I think every Christian in Utah ought to hear. We're we're surrounded by well-meaning, beloved family members and friends and neighbors who may be wonderful at being family members and neighbors and friends, but who believe that we need a human prophet today, a merely human prophet today. In fact, it would not be uncommon if you got in a conversation with one of your Mormon friends for one of them to tell you that you need to consider Amos 3.7. i put that up here for you. This is an Old Testament verse where Amos writes, For the Lord does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Now it is my opinion that this verse still stands for today. That it is entirely applicable for Christians today. I, I think that that's the case. I've heard arguments to the contrary, but that's what I think is the case. The Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. In other words, I think that the words of Amos 3.7 still ring true. But simply put, we are not looking for a merely human prophet today as Christians because we already have one. And his name is Jesus. Jesus has replaced these Old Testament servant prophets and is now a son prophet. He's now today our living, perfect, ultimate, final prophet forevermore. Is God still revealing his secret to his, to his servants and through the prophets? Yeah! Through Jesus. What an upgrade talk with people on the street sometime, I go, hold on for a second. If I can choose to, okay, I got two prophets to pick from, that guy or Jesus, I'm following that prophet. Why would I choose any other prophet other than Jesus? I've heard people say to me, well, he's not alive. Yes, he is. Well, he doesn't speak to us. Yes, he does. Additionally, the Bible testifies to this elsewhere. We don't only find this in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. 
Let me show you this in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. You see this all over the Old Testament, where a prophet of the Old Testament receives revelation about a future event. Oftentimes they go, what do you mean, God? Searching and inquiring. We see like Daniel in the Old Testament, prophet of the Old Testament. He's hearing about future events, future for his time, from his time. He's looking forward. He's going, how am I to process this? Oftentimes we see confusion in the prophets. Wait, you you want me to say what? You want me to do what? The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, yours, that's us now, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Beautiful language here. Not too hard if you go slowly through it. But the idea here is that the Spirit of Jesus Christ was giving these words of prophecy to the Old Testament prophets about himself and when he would come and what he would look like and that he would suffer and that he would receive glory. And oftentimes these Old Testament prophets didn't have the whole picture. I told you before they had parts and they had portions of it. Some knew he was going to be despised. Some knew he was going to suffer. Some knew he was going to rule. Some knew he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Some knew he was going to be born by a virgin. And they had the pieces of this whole thing. And they're, oh, we'll say it, God. They searched and inquired carefully. They didn't know. They didn't have the full picture yet. And they were looking forward to something. So in the Old Testament, they're looking forward to the coming of Christ in the New Testament. And I bet you, if you would have asked an Old Testament prophet, tell me everything you know about Jesus, they'd have been like, oh, who? First of all, Jesus, they probably would have known the name, right? They probably would have had parts, okay, this is what we know. And each might give another part and piece. And as we look at the whole Old Testament compiled together, we go, whoa! By Jesus' day, there was expectation of a Messiah coming. Jesus drew upon this many times. But look, look, what it, look what it said. Jesus, Jesus is the spirit pointing forward to himself from the Old Testament prophet pointing forward. So if a prophet spoke to his people, who spoke to the people? Jesus. Jesus spoke to the people in the Old Testament through the prophets. Look what happens next. It was revealed to them, the Old Testament prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Oh, goodness. First, angels long to look. Even the angels wanted to see the full picture being played out. And it seems as though they had to watch in history how it laid out. They don't have omniscience like God. They know all things perfectly. They're they're watching God play out exactly what he promised to play out too. They long to look into this. How much more so the human prophet? Uh, getting their little portion. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves. Why not themselves? Because they were going to get a little part. They, were gonna, they, they weren't going to be there for Jesus. They were pointing towards him. They had a future hope. Oh, this, God is, God is going to send a Messiah, an anointed one. He's going, to, he's going to come. Their hope was looking forward. 
They were serving not themselves but you and the things that, by Peter's day, that have now been announced to you. Through whom? Through prophets? Through earthly, merely human representatives who are the new or the way, just like the Old Testament, God will continue to speak? No. Through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Jesus tells his disciples, it'll be better if I leave. Trust me, because when I go, I will send you the Holy Spirit from heaven. Jesus is, Jesus is the sender of his Holy Spirit who is going to come and indwell and empower the preaching of those who share the good news. In the Old Testament, the prophets pointed towards future events. This is one of the pieces that we look to and go, that's prophecy. Not always, but most of the time, prophecy is talking about something that couldn't have been known otherwise, other, unless it was given explicitly by God. Supernatural revelation. Future events, of course, fall into that. But now, the way that the news is delivered is by preaching what has already happened. Announcing that by the power of the Holy Spirit today. You see, the way that God spoke to his people in the Old Testament was through people who spoke of things in the future. Now, all peoples who preach the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit do so pointing back. This is amazing to me. So, so in the Old Testament day, if a person wanted to know something from God, I'm going to read 1 Samuel 9, 9. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, what's inquire of God? Seeking question from God. Oftentimes it'd be a king. Should I go into battle or not? Uh, David inquired, uh, should I build the temple for you or not? Right? These, are the, these kinds of things. Even menial things, like right here in 1 Samuel 9, where literally Saul, before he's a king, is looking for donkeys and he can't find them. Let's go find a prophet. If a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go see the seer, the seer for today's prophet was formerly called a seer. You would go to the person who had the Spirit of God in them. Who has the Spirit of God in them today? All believers. Something blew wide open at Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost. And as the, the believers, all the believers, men and women, are, are prophesying, preaching supernatural truths to the audience, the audience like, what was going on here? And Peter quotes Joel in the Old Testament, and he says that this is being fulfilled before them. He says, look, look back at even what Joel said. That in the last days, you, I will pour out my spirit on all peoples. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's what happened. New Testament believers filled with the spirit of God speak on his behalf when they proclaim the gospel. The Old Testament, the Spirit of Christ was given to just a few. The New Testament, the Holy Spirit is sent by Jesus to every believer. This is why the Great Commission is given to all believers. We are all spokespersons for God. This is why when someone needs to hear the gospel in the book of Acts, in, in, in the stories of the Corinthians and Ephesians, if you see a story in the New Testament of someone needs to hear the gospel, they don't go, who's the one who can give it? The Christian. That's who gives it. Whoever has the Spirit of God in him or her, 
Additionally, something else to add here, there's nothing new to add to our future expectations. We now await the final events of history. And for the record, that idea that God would stop speaking through merely human prophets for a period of time where we're not expecting any new events to take place, that's not unprecedented. There's at least two other times in Israelite history where that happened for centuries, centuries with no prophet. Why? Look at these two examples. At the end of the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, if you finish the book of Genesis and close that out, that's the Joseph who was sold into slavery, the technicolor robe Joseph, right? Sold into slavery, he becomes the second in command, the vice president of all of Egypt. All of Jacob's family, Israel, moves down there, and that's where the book of Genesis ends, right? Well, then we have 400 years before the next book. Why? Because they were, they were waiting for the next event in redemptive history. There wasn't anything else to say. Same could be true of the end of the Old Testament. There were 400 more years of silence. No more prophecy given through merely human prophets. Why? Because they were just waiting for the next event. What event? Jesus coming. That's why. There wasn't an unbroken line of every single generation and explicit prophet. That's not the way the Old Testament lays out its history. Same is true for today and even more so than those days. We await the return of Jesus to conclude history. What's the next thing? Jesus comes. And even when you can find Christians who go like, well, it seems like when we get to that end, there's a few things that'll happen this way or this way. We love debating the eschatology and how the parts and pieces will work, but all believers are saying, what's the next thing? Jesus is coming. That's what. Jesus is coming. And he's going to conclude this thing. He's going to bring it to completion. Finally, I want you to consider this real quick. I was studying tons of of commentaries on this, that language in Hebrews is amazing. And I was wanting to make sure that as we're reading some of these things, it's not just my first, my idea in mind. This is actually written down and even Christians in history have seen this. So I was looking at several of the commentaries I was reading. I'll read two parts to you out loud within the last 500 years. The first is from John Calvin, who's from the 1500s. He writes this about this exact verse in Hebrews 1, verse 2. John Calvin writes, And when he speaks of the last times... He intimates that there is no longer any reason to expect any new revelation. For it was not a word in part that Christ brought, but the final conclusion. We're not lacking anything. We're not going, oh Lord, if only we had 3 Corinthians. It would clear up a lot for me. We go, thank you Lord for all we need to live a life that honors you. Matthew Henry wrote a commentary on this as well, the end of the 1600s, early 1700s. He writes this about this exact verse. He says, It is the final, the finishing revelation given forth in the last days of divine revelation to which nothing is to be added, but the canon of Scripture is to be settled and sealed so that now the minds of men are no longer kept in suspense by the expectation of new discoveries. But they rejoice in a complete revelation of the will of God, both preceptive and providential, so far as is necessary for them to know in order to their direction and comfort. In other words, all that you and I need to know to set our lives to honor God and know him as much as we can has been laid out in scripture. We're not lacking anything. We're not hunting for the missing piece of the puzzle Jesus is going to come back. 
This age is going to be riddled with all kinds of trials and tribulations. There's going to be persecutions and sufferings. But the church is going to grow. God will not fail what he set out to do. And in the end, Jesus will come back and he will bring reward and punishment. What the Old Testament prophets did in part, Jesus does in full. They gave parts. We need another prophet to fill the gaps. We need another one. We need another one. Jesus finalized. Jesus is greater than the prophets. I'm not going to have time to get through the rest of this today, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to land the plane slightly, and we'll pick this up in, in next, next week, okay? But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. I need more time than a few minutes to do that. Jesus is, here, let, let me summarize it this way. Jesus is the most excellent messenger that God has ever sent us. Why would we want anyone else? Do you, do you remember the story in the New Testament? Some of you might remember this if you're familiar with some of the Gospels. Where John the Baptist, who is the most well-known preacher around all the, amongst all the people, at the Jordan River, baptizing people, all of a sudden has his ministry impeded by this outsider named Jesus who shows up and all the people start following him instead. And the disciples of John the Baptist go, hey, uh, they're, they're all going over there. And what does John go? Got to preach harder, got to do something. He goes, that's the way it's supposed to be. Who can compete with the Son of God? Who would want to? You and I set our hearts and our minds to follow, honor, listen to the direction of our ultimate, final, complete prophet, Jesus. What we hear from Jesus is better than the prophets. I want to read to you as I close here one parable that Jesus used that I think is helpful to show what Hebrews 1, 2, and actually 1 through 4 is going to make even clearer for us in upcoming weeks, that Jesus is no mere servant of the kingdom. He is the Son who is supreme over all of the servants. Matthew 21, verses 33 through 39. Jesus says, Here, another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. I paused because I didn't see till right now. <laughs> um, us <laughs> here. Do you see that you see the parable? These servants were the prophets of old who were messengers speaking on behalf of the master. And the master says, I'll send my son. He has real authority. He has my name put on him. 
They will respect him. And these wicked tenants said, let's kill him and we will get his inheritance. And the crazy truth is we did kill him and we did get his inheritance. (laughs) You and I can read Old Testament prophecies and we can be amazed at how God confirmed things. We can look at history and be like, whoa, God said that hundreds of years before it happened and it did exactly like he said. But Jesus speaks with an even greater authority. Let me land with this. Do you believe God has spoken through his son? Do you know how you can tell whether or not you actually do believe that? There's actually a way I think you can test this verse in your own heart. We can all say it. I could all ask you all to say yes or not. You could. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, greater in power and authority than anyone. He has spoken. That's how he has spoken in these last days, through his son. Do you know how we can know in our own hearts if that's true for us? What do you do when a person asks you for counsel? What do you do when you're trying to discern right from wrong? What do you do when you're trying to make a decision and you feel like you need help to understand the will of God and what to do? What do you do? If you believe this, you open the Bible. If you believe this, you go to the Word. You go to the teachings of Jesus and those who He sent to write His words, His apostles. You open the Bible and say, God, you have spoken. You have spoken. I'm not just waiting like, Lord, maybe someday you'll write a special letter just to me. He did. He did. It's right here. Any Christian counselor worth his salt. When you ask any question, the first thing that happens is either pages flipping or or you can can see the, the cycle, the spinning of the mind, recalling verses. That's what you want. You don't want the counsel of humans. You don't want your own heart. Oh, goodness. You don't want your own heart in that that room. This is how you can know. I believe sometimes even Christians filled with the Spirit of God can struggle in this. Can get so caught up in thinking, Lord, I have the Spirit in me. You've given me a kind of knowledge and a wisdom. I get the gospel. So I've got to make a big decision. I got this one. I got this one, God. I'll just, all that you've given me, I'm going to figure this out. If you really believe this, the way you act out that you believe this is that the word is central for you. When you make decisions, when you need counsel, when you're trying to know what is right and wrong. If you ever dealt with a moral issue today that feels like a conundrum, you're like, I I don't know how to answer that one. Well, don't stay in your own head. You go to God. You hear the words of Jesus spoken by him. And you have to answer the question for yourself, is that good enough for you? I mean that seriously. Do you feel for yourself that's good enough? Or do you ever find yourself saying, God, no, it's not enough for me. I need, I need more. I need something different. I need, I need many times in many ways. That's what I need. We have something better than many times in many ways. We have the very word of God delivered to us by his son whom he appointed heir 
of all things, which we'll get to next week. Let's pray. Oh, goodness, Lord. Oh, we've gotten a verse and a half into this glorious book. I feel overwhelmed by the kinds of truth that we get here. Lord, protect us from error. Lord, help us to see your word, to trust your word more than our own hearts, more than any counselor, more than any Christian brother or sister, as well-meaning as one might be. Lord, let us look to your word. Let us see the teaching of your son and those whom he has appointed to deliver his words to us. Let us see those things as our final authority in life. Lord, I thank you that you showed us that you are a speaking God. You are not silent like sometimes the world says. You do hear us. You hear our prayers. You are attentive to our voices. You provide exactly what we need and when we need it for your glory and for our greatest joy. Lord, help us to embrace that. Lord, when we have those seasons where it feels like, when it feels like you are being quiet, when you are being silent, Lord, let us, let us see that we should look to ourselves in our own hearts and, and, and do business with you in regards to our sin struggles. Lord, where am I in my own life piling on weight towards the obstacles that stand between me and you in right communication? Lord, do I look to your word first? Or do I expect the many times in many ways? Father, I pray that any one of our Mormon friends who may hear this sermon or, or parts of it shared with others and shared from the Bible, Lord, I pray that you would empower that, that you'd be, you'd be, you would send the Holy Spirit of God into the heart of the one proclaiming the gospel to do a mighty work in those hearts. Father, let our LDS friends desire to trade a merely human prophet for a final, perfect, ultimate, complete prophet in Jesus. We pray all this today in the name of your perfect son, whom you have appointed heir all things, Jesus. Amen.